I wanted to show it because years ago, Alicia and I drove 
down to Springfield, Missouri, uh, to go to a concert of a group called Leland. And I'm not a big concert person, but uh, we went down there because we just love their music. And that song in particular, The Opposite Way, had a big impact on our lives. Uh, and that last line, that through the cross, he conquered the grave so that you could go the opposite way. Um, that's what we talked about last week. He gave us a choice that we could run to life and away from destruction. We could go the opposite way from everybody else. And last week was probably one of the most important messages that I've ever uh, preached. If you missed it, you should get the tape or something. But (laughs) back in the day when we used to have tapes. Um, Because Jesus is coming to the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He's been talking for two chapters about what the kingdom looks like and what a citizen of the kingdom looks like. And now he's going to give an invitation on how to become one of those citizens. Imagine listening to Jesus. I mean, this is a guy, you've heard all about him. He's been performing miracles. He's been telling stories, simple stories that reveal big truths about the kingdom. And nobody's ever heard him talk this way before. I mean, he's a cousin of John the Baptist. Everybody knows him. And he's even taking on the Pharisees. He's taking them on. So as you're listening to him, he starts to compare the ways of the world, how the world works and its systems, to how God works and what the kingdom looks like, God's standards. And it's, anything, it's unlike anything that you've ever heard before. And he's basically giving an invitation to anyone who wants to be a part of the kingdom. But you have to really want to be a part of the kingdom. You have to want to be a citizen. Nobody ever stumbles onto the narrow path. Nobody gets through the narrow gate by mistake. The masses are wandering through the wide gate. Uh, We get invitations all the time. Remember when we used to go buy the boxes of invitations, like birthday invitations? We used to, you know, hand write them out, put the, you know, sticker on there and throw them out in the mailbox. And uh, now it's just a group text, right? Who's coming to the party? We don't do that. Only the really important invitations come in the mail now. You know, birth announcements, you know, graduations or weddings. Um, those are the ones that come in the mail now. Jesus used weddings and invitations as an illustration for the kingdom that lots of invitations get sent out to the marriage supper of the Lamb, but very few attend. Um, there was a, a baseball player once who said, You know, baseball is a lot like church, many attend, but few understand. <laughs> lots of invitations go out, but very few people uh, come to the wedding. Speaking of weddings, uh, there was a woman and her daughter that attended a wedding, and it was this little girl's first time ever going to a wedding, and she was just blown away. She was in awe by all the beauty and the pageantry, all the flowers and the decorations, and everybody was all dressed up, gowns and tuxedos. And at one point during the wedding, she leaned over to her mom, and she's like, Mommy, why is the bride dressed in all white? And the mom was trying to figure out you know, an answer that her daughter could understand. And then eventually she smiled and she said, you know what? Because white is the color of happiness and it is the bride's happiest day of her life. And the little girl thought about it and she's like, well, then why is the groom wearing black? <laughs> I, uh, I, Brett and Julia, you know, they usually sit right over there. They got married this last weekend, so I think they're on their uh, honeymoon period, and they, they both look pretty happy. So um, that was a really cool thing to witness and go to their wedding. But Jesus used that as an illustration for the kingdom and what our relationship to him should look like. And he gets the, to the part where he issues the invitation, but he also gives us a warning. There are two gates 
Make sure you go through the narrow gate. Stay away from the wide gate. They both say they're going to take you to the same destination, but one of them ends in destruction. Only one of them leads to life. And if he handed you a map, if he handed you a map and said, which he did, he handed you a map. And if he did, he would put a big skull and crossbones over the wide gate. Don't go that way. You got to go the opposite way than everybody else is. And if we really want to find the path that leads to life, we have to search for it diligently. Jesus said that few will find it. If few are going to find it, then that means we need to search for it seriously. We need to take his invitation seriously. Because not only are there two gates, but there's also two groups of people standing outside those gates. And they're both trying to convince you to go through it. You have a group of people that are standing outside the wide gate saying, come this way. Then you have a few people standing outside the narrow gate saying, this is the way to life. Walk in it. And that's what we're going to cover today. Our text is Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit, but the, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. First, it was two gates. Now it's two trees. Um, The trees represent prophets. They represent teachers, people that say they speak for God. Both gates claim to lead to life. Both prophets, both teachers here claim to speak for God. Both appear to have genuine fruit hanging off their branches. Uh, False prophets were rampant in Israel's day. When Jesus started to talk about false prophets, they were very familiar with that because they had seen a lot through the years. Uh, Today, we would call them uh, heretical preachers, heretics. Uh, Guys like uh, Joel Olstein and Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland, guys like this, right? Uh, I read this week that Kenneth Copeland is worth like $760 million dollars. $760 million. I would not want to be standing next to him at the judgment because he's steering people in the wrong direction. Um, Those are the most recognizable in the church. But if you just type into Google false teachers in the church today, you would be amazed at some of the names that people put on those lists. Why are there such a long list of pastors um, that are called heretics that are preaching something different than what the gospel says? Because Jesus warns that not everyone who says they speak for him, not everyone who claims to be a Christian is a citizen of the kingdom. They're standing outside of the wrong gate. And some of them are actively steering the crowds toward the wide path. The true way is narrow and the false way is wide. In Paul's final letter, imagine if you were sitting down to write one last letter before you died, what kind of things would you put in it? What kind of advice would you give to your kids, to those around you? This is what Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. He says, preach the word. Preach the word. Not a new best-selling book, not a summer movie series. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Guys, that day is here more than ever. Our country, our city is full of churches that are catering 
to itching ears. Um, they don't confront sin. There is a hyper-focus on the believer instead of the Savior. There's a focus on cheap grace and little, if any, talk about sin and holiness. And they claim to show the way to life, but what they're really offering is entertainment and comfort. I watched a video just this past week of a megachurch right here in Liberty, and uh, they're, doing, they're doing the summer movie series. And when you walk into the church, it looks like Universal Studios. I mean, they have spent thousands of dollars on sets. When you walk in there, you can get your picture taken with a stormtrooper. The worship team was doing a cover song of Journey's, uh, of Journey's song, uh, Separate Ways. They were up there singing, you know, one day love will find you. Break those chains that bind you. That sounds pretty good, except that the song is called Separate Ways. They're going the opposite ways. Um, that was kind of shocking to me, but they're guiding people away from a narrow road, in my opinion, and they're promoting a wrong way. That's why Jesus issues a very serious warning and then calls you and me to be watchful. Daniel Webster, who lived in the 1800s, said this, if religious books are not widely circulated among the masses in this country, I do not know what is going to become of us as a nation. If truth be not diffused, error will be. If the evangelical volume does not reach every community, the pages of a corrupt and licentious literature will. If the power of the gospel is not felt throughout the length and breadth of the land, anarchy and misrule, degeneration and misery, corruption and darkness will reign without mitigation or end. Those words have a very prophetic ring to them. Now, those were a century and a half ago that those words were spoken. Truer now than ever before. Jesus gives a warning. Anything that God has created, anything that he has given us for our benefit, Satan has created counterfeits to try to confuse and to deceive the believers. As long as God has true prophets, um, Satan's been trying to deceive people with false ones of his own. Um, about a third of the Bible deals with prophecy, deals in the prophetic. So Satan's been working overtime to try to deceive people in the wrong way from what God says, inspiring false prophets. In Deuteronomy 13, Moses says, if there is a prophet that rises up among you and starts performing signs and wonders, looks really good, and then he makes a prediction, he prophesies something, and it comes to pass, and then all of a sudden he says, let's go worship other gods, you're to put that person to death because he's trying to deceive you. And that's actually a test to see if you will remain faithful to Yahweh or not. We need to use discernment. False teachers will always find a listening audience because they're just not happy with the way God does things. Um, you ever met somebody who's become bitter because of the things that God allows or the th ways that God works? And they become bitter and they don't like the way that God works and they don't understand it. So they open themselves up to all kinds of false teaching, to all kinds of deceptive uh, deceptive things. They become displeased with God. And there's an eager audience for false teaching because people don't want to hear the hard truth, even if the truth is beneficial for them. They want to hear things that tickle their ears, that flatter them, things that are pleasant. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars who, whose consciences are seared. Their consciences 
are seared. They're made hard. They're made black. The Holy Spirit can no longer speak to them, can no longer convict them. And so when they lie, they actually think it's the truth. And they're speaking falsities against what the scripture says. Who are some of these false prophets? Well, they come in several forms. Uh, The very first one that we will talk about is called the heretic. Um, Probably the most prevalent in the church today, which makes them the most dangerous. 2 Peter 2, 1 says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Uh, The heretic is the person who blatantly teaches something that contradicts what the Bible says. Uh, They're usually a natural born leader, very dynamic in personality, with just enough truth to cover up the falsehood that they're promoting. Uh, They might take verses out of context to promote a certain agenda. They have something that they want to push forward. And so they start picking and choosing verses that back that up, even though they're out of context. Um, They can either contradict the truth or they can subtract from it. For instance, there's a lot of pastors behind the pulpits today that don't necessarily believe in the virgin birth or the resurrection. Those are essential elements of the faith. If Jesus was born in a normal human way, guys, then he is sinful just like the rest of us and his sacrifice was worthless and we're still caught in our sins. And if he didn't raise from the dead, then he didn't defeat death and his bones are in a grave somewhere and what chance do you and I have to overcome death? I don't know how somebody can stand behind a pulpit and preach that and believe that in their heart, but it's true and they're called heretics. The second is the charlatan. Uh, These are the televangelists. These are the people that you're familiar with, the ones who use Christianity to make themselves rich. Um, one of them is a guy, this is his real name. I don't know if this is his real name, but this is what he calls himself, Creeflo Dollar. That's his real name, and he's got a real following, but he is a charlatan. Um, in 1 Timothy 6.5, tells us that these people are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. The very next verse, Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with being content with your circumstances, where God has you, what he's given you. Instead of feeding the sheep, they're fleecing the sheep and they're, feeding, they're fattening them up for slaughter is what they're doing. That old image of the wolf sneaking into, you know, the sheep's pen, wearing the sheep's clothing. Um, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. That comes from Aesop's fables, right? The sheep that's sneaking in wearing the, or the wolf that's sneaking in wearing the sheep's clothing. Um, what Jesus is talking about here is someone who's not impersonating a sheep, but impersonating a shepherd. It makes sense that in ancient times that the shepherds would use the fleece from the flocks that they had to make clothes for themselves. Um, they would, you know, get some of their practical needs met by the sheep that they tended But Jesus is talking about someone who's not just getting their needs met, but they're growing rich by taking advantage of the flock, fleecing the sheep and getting rich from it. Those are the charlatans. Next, we have a false prophet. Uh, These are the people who claim to speak for God, uh, that they've been gifted with a certain fresh revelation from God. Uh, They have a new prediction or they have a new teaching that people really need to hear, Uh, but they've only been inspired by Satan to mislead and confuse the believers. Uh, People like Joseph Smith, who started the Mormon religion. Um, It's interesting because, I mean, he claims that an angel visited him, gave him a new gospel um, on tablets that only he could read. That's very convenient, isn't it? And I don't know how they get around the verse where Paul writes, if an angel comes to you with a different gospel, it ain't an angel, it's a demon. And yet a whole religion 
was started around that concept. Even though Paul said that, they still do that. We saw people like uh, Chris Valentin, who was a very well-known uh, preacher who predicted uh, or prophesied that Trump was going to win a second term. And then afterwards, he came out and had to apologize for it. You know what? You're done. You said you spoke for God. You said, thus saith the Lord, and it didn't happen. You know how many chances you got to be wrong as a prophet in Israel? Zero. You did not get to be wrong. If you said, thus saith the Lord, and it didn't come to pass, if you were wrong, they stoned you. You died. That's how serious it was to say, I'm speaking for the Lord when you're not. And then, of course, we have the whole stream of religious people that constantly try to predict the day that Jesus is going to come back. Even though the Bible says, no man knows the day or the hour, people still try to predict it. They're false teachers. Anytime people, I actually kind of like it when they say, this is the day, and I'm like, well, it's not that day. <laughs> Go ahead and keep predicting days, because I know that's not the one. I'm going to keep looking. 1 John 4, 1, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world today. Another type of false teacher is the abuser. Uh, this is one who uses his position of authority to take advantage of and manipulate people within the church. Uh, most oftentimes we see this played out in the form of sexual immorality, where you have guys that um, have manipulated people, worked their way into women's lives due to their position and taken advantage of them. We see this in the headlines far too often. Um, you know, abuse from priests or pastors that have gotten caught up in sexual sin. Second Peter 2, 2 says that many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Nothing blasphemes the gospel faster than pastors getting caught up in sexual sin. The world looks at that and they say, see, you're just like us. You're no different. And God is blasphemed. They claim that they're simply tending the sheep when they're simply ravenous wolves. And unfortunately, the abuser's been around ever since the beginning of the church started. Anytime there is a power vacuum, somebody wants to step in, and it ends up in abuse, taking advantage of them. That's the abuser. Anytime, um, well, another type of false teacher is the divider. Uh, Jude 18 says, in the last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Uh, what's the first, first fruit of the spirit? It's love right? The first fruit of the spirit of love. These are people who lack love. They're supposed to be the ones that are holding the body together in the bonds of peace, but instead their teachings and the things they say cause divisions, cause strife within the church, and it causes um, factions within the church. And people start arguing. Um, they just seem to have a perverse satisfaction for chaos and destruction, uh, they might take some type of minor doctrine and turn it into a major piece of theology. Uh, they might say, if you really want to be spiritual, then you need to do this thing. You need to believe this, or you need to take part in this if you really want to be a Christian. Now, think back, because you had the Judaizers. We talked about this in Galatians. The Judaizers that would follow Paul around, and they would go into these cities and say, well, that's nice that you believe in Jesus, but if you really want to be a Christian, you need to be Jewish too. You need to be circumcised. And they would come in, and they would try to subvert the things that Paul said. And they were people that were dividers. And they're another type of false teacher that are in the world today. And then, of course, we have the ticklers. Um, these kinds of teachers we have in spades. We have so many of them 
in the church today. They care nothing for what God wants and everything for what people want. Just tell them what they want to hear. They're after man's praise and not God's praise. Um, Of course, Joel Osteen is kind of the poster boy for this type of false teacher. Um, He preaches an empty gospel to a sold-out church. Um, It is only half the gospel. You only preach the parts of the Bible that people want to hear. Right? Don't, don't bother me with the uncomfortable things. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about repentance. Don't talk about conviction. Let's talk about love, and let's talk about grace, and let's talk about um, you know, your best life now. Live your best life now. That's his famous book. Live your best life now. Um, guys, this ain't heaven. Our best life is the next life. That's where we're going after Jesus brings us home. They talk a lot about happiness and grace, but very little, if any, about sin. They love to talk about heaven, but they don't want to talk about hell. That's only half the gospel. For there to be good news, there has to be bad news. Without Jesus, without his saving grace, without asking for forgiveness and giving him control of your life, you are going to end up in a real place called hell for all eternity. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah condemned all the false prophets in the land because they were all preaching peace. They would go around and say, guys, everything's peaceful, nothing to see here, no problems are coming. And Jeremiah said, Nebuchadnezzar's coming, he's coming to sack the city, you better get your lives right, and you guys are all false teachers telling everybody that nothing's wrong when destruction's coming. Satan's greatest ambassadors aren't politicians, They're not power brokers. They're not celebrities. They're pastors. They're false teachers. Only Satan's Satan's priests don't peddle a different religion. They peddle a very uh, deadly perversion of the true one. His troops don't make an all-out frontal assault, right? They're like secret agents that sneak into the church. Satan's tactics are very clever. Uh, They're very predictable, but they're very effective, Uh, They work. They're deceiving people, which is why we have to stay vigilant. That's why Jesus says you have to be careful. You need to be on guard against false prophets. Uh, Probably one of the most well-known false prophets is the cult leader, Jim Jones, who operated back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, He was a leader of what he called his church the People's Temple. The people, that should have been a red flag right from the beginning, the people's temple. Um, Actually, it's uh, God's church, not man's church, which we're just a part of. Uh, That should have been a clue that something wasn't right. Um, But as he gained in popularity, as he started to develop a following, uh, he became very active politically. And he began to take on uh, social issues. He began to preach very hard against racism. That sounds very good. He had a very diverse church, which is wonderful. But he began to get into a lot of that. He was doing good works. He had the appearance of genuine fruit. But it was merely fruit hanging from thistles as he started to gain favor in the eyes of the world. And he started to align himself with celebrities to promote his church and promote himself. Favor in the world's eyes should be a red flag. That should be something that concerns us. Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. Now, they may like you as a person. They may like some of your message about grace and forgiveness and love. But as soon as you speak the truth in love about sin and about hell, those people are going to turn on you. They don't mind hearing a message about grace and mercy and love, but they're not going to listen about sin and repentance and hell. Uh, Jim Jones manipulated the media. He used the language and the forms of the faith to gain power and influence. And he made big claims that he had healed people and that he'd cast out demons and they had done all kinds of miraculous works. 
And when his church came under scrutiny, started to be looked at pretty closely, he moved it from Indianapolis all the way to California. Now, I'd like to move the church to Pensacola. (laughs) Who wants to come with me? (laughs) I got a couple. All right. And then when it became even more under scrutiny, he moved it to Guyana over in Africa of all places. Very strange. But over 900 people sold everything they had and they moved over there where he promised a socialist paradise where everybody was going to take part in this. They all moved over to a compound in a communal lifestyle. And in 1978, as it all started to fall apart, U.S. delegations were sent over to take a look at it and see what was going on there, which they killed. And then as it started to fall apart, somehow he convinced over 900 people to commit mass murder-suicide as they all drank Kool-Aids laced with cyanide. Over 900 people, including children, about a third of them were children, they all died at that, uh, at that time in that compound. And the fact that they died is terrible, but the tragedy really is that they thought they were following the truth. There were people in that group that thought they were following the truth, and they were part of that. Um, if they weren't genuine believers, if they put their hands in the, you know, if they put their lives in the hands of a psychopath instead of in the hands of Jesus, then those people ended up in hell eternally because they were following a false teacher. And we start to get a better picture of why Jesus takes false teaching so, um, so seriously. Jesus told his disciples not to fear the person that could just harm the body. Don't fear somebody who can just hurt you physically. Fear the one that can hurt you physically and spiritually, the one that can kill the body and take the soul to hell. Uh, Jesus was so harsh on the Pharisees because they used God's name to make themselves rich, to benefit themselves. And they used his name um, to steer people in the wrong direction. They were taking people farther away from his way instead of towards the Lord. He says, you guys can't understand anything I'm saying because God isn't your father. He actually said, you guys are doing the work of Satan because Satan's your father. You're actually accomplishing his will. I do the will of my father. And if you loved the father, you would love me because I'm doing his will. And when you start to listen to that, and you start to see how he unmasked their hypocrisy, calling Satan their father, it's easy to see why they killed him eventually. We need wisdom and we, dis- we need discernment. And folks, if you don't want to be deceived, you need to know your Bibles. You need to know what the word says. The Bible isn't being taught in a lot of churches in America today, and a lot of churchgoers are simply accepting what the pastor says as truth. Gang, don't take my word for it. I take this very seriously, but don't take my word for it. You guys need to study it on your own. Test what I say against the scriptures, against the word, and make sure that what you're being fed is genuine. In Acts 17, Paul and Silas arrive in a place called Berea, and the first thing they do is go to the synagogue, and they start talking to their brothers there about Jesus, and they're sharing the gospel with them. And it says that they were more noble than their brothers in Thessalonica because when they received the word earnestly, they went back every day and they studied the scriptures, the Old Testament, to make sure that the things that Paul and Silas were telling them was accurate. So not only did they receive it, but they went and double-checked it. And then they became even more fervent in their faith. And one of the things that doesn't happen very often in our country is that people don't just receive the word earnestly, but they don't go back and check it and make sure that what they're being fed is right. Remember the dogs and the pigs we talked about a few weeks ago? Uh, don't throw to the dogs what's holy and don't cast your pearls before swine. Dogs and pigs are pretty easy to, you know, to point out. Pretty easy for us to figure out who they are. But these people, these deceivers, the wolves... They sound and look a lot like you and I. The prophets in the Old Testament 
were often easy to spot because they weren't too into comfort. You could tell who they were a lot of times by what they wore. Um, When Jesus was talking about his cousin, John the Baptist, um, he told the people this. He said, who did you come out here to see? Who'd you come out to the desert to see? Did you come out here to see somebody dressed in soft clothing? He said, no. People dressed in soft clothing live in king's houses. You came out here to see someone who was a prophet. We're told that John wore camel skins, right? Camel skins and a leather belt. Now, you might think that's not a big deal, wearing leather. Well, where did John spend a lot of time? In the river, right? Dunking people. And then he would get out, and the sun would bake him dry, and then he would get back in. I don't know if, you need, if you've seen what happens to leather when you get it wet, and then you dry it out, and then you get it wet over and over again. It kind of starts to resemble sandpaper, That's what John was wearing every single day. He wasn't into comfort. He was into what God wanted him to do. According to some early Christian writings, a real prophet would never ask for money. He would never ask for money. They would ask for for bread and water. They would ask for their basic necessities to be met so they could move on and keep doing the work of the Lord. Now we have people asking for money all the time. All the time. Our ministry isn't going to survive if you don't give and support us. Well, maybe it shouldn't then. Wherever God guides, God provides. He brings in the resources. If you have to beg people for money, then maybe that ministry shouldn't exist anymore. Also, a true prophet would never remain as a house guest more than two days. He wouldn't stay there more than two days because he needed to be up and busy and active about what God was having him do. False prophets often have no agenda. They're very idle. They don't have anywhere to go. They don't have anything to do. If someone claims to be a prophet or a shepherd of the sheep, what kind of lifestyle are they living? Just look at their life. Um, does, their, does their life correspond to the message that they're preaching and the standards that they're telling people? They had a term in the Greek that they used for these types of teachers. They called them Christ temporos or Christ merchants. They were selling Christ for their own benefit. They were like Christ traffickers to make themselves rich, to pad their pockets and their ego So how do we spot these wolves and ensure that we're not deceived by what they're teaching? Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. The purpose of a fruit tree is to bear fruit. Uh, It might provide nice shade, but that's not why God created them specifically, exclusively. They're supposed to be producing fruit. Uh, We lived in a house once that had a Bradford pear in the front yard. And Bradford pears were um, a favorite of builders for a couple different reasons. Um, First of all, when you live in a new neighborhood, it was, you know, kind of a new neighborhood, they don't have mature trees. You know, they just wipe everything out now. And so they planted these Bradford pears because they grew very fast. Uh, We lived there 10 years and it was taller than our house in just 10 years. But here's the thing, and it also flowered in the springtime. So not only did it grow fast, but it was also pretty to look at because it flowered. But the thing about Bradford pears is they don't produce pears. They don't grow any fruit. And they're also very brittle. They're really brave, brittle. And then so what they're famous for is splitting under pressure. And so after 10 years, this Bradford pear that was tall, that was pretty, split in half during a storm. And so again, you have something that didn't produce fruit, and ultimately broke under pressure. This is what false teachers are like. They're attractive, they're dynamic, but they don't have firm teaching that's rooted in the word of God, and their lives aren't bearing any fruit. A tree isn't judged just by the way it looks. It's judged by the fruit that it produces. And we're assured that we won't be deceived if we look closely. Um, We don't need help spotting bad trees. If there's a sickly tree, one that's drying up, one that's diseased, we don't need help pointing that out. But we need to look closely if we're going to 
figure out which trees are healthy and which trees are diseased. Jesus says that fruit isn't gathered from thistles and figs aren't gathered from, um, from, vine, from uh, sorry, thistles and um, thorn bushes. You're not going to find fruit from thistles or thorn bushes. Sorry, I lost my uh, train of thought there. Grapes might be hung on thorn bushes or figs might be hung on thistles. And from far away, it might look like authentic fruit. Might look like there's real fruit there, but there's nothing connected to the vine. There's nothing connected there. And if it's not actually connected, it's not going to thrive. It's just going to rot. And if you don't look closely, it's possible to be deceived. Um, If you don't know your Bible, if you're not praying, if you're not spending time around other believers, then it's going to be easy for you to be deceived. We need discernment because we're told that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He spouts off just enough truth to cover up his deceit. In Hebrews 5.11, the writer is talking about false teachers, and he says this, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We need to be constantly discerning good from evil. We want to be mature in the faith. We need to grow up as Christians and not remain infants. Three things that we can expect to see if a teacher is true or false. The first thing is their character. Uh, Eventually, their inner qualities are going to come out in the things that they do and say. John told the Pharisees, bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance. Don't just talk about it, do it. It's easy to talk about it. You need to be walking it out. Now, we're not saved by good works, right? We need to see good works, but we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works that God has prepared for us beforehand, and we need to be doing those. Um, Look at the fruits of the Spirit to see if they're evident in their lives. Do they have love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control? Are those things evident in their lives? Or are they more oriented towards money, and popularity, and pride? John Calvin said, nothing's more difficult to counterfeit than virtue. When God's power and provision aren't present, the charade isn't going to last very long, and it never does. Now, in a smaller church, it's real easy to kind of see almost every area of my life if you want to. But in a bigger church, there's nothing wrong with bigger churches, but in a bigger church, it's going to require a lot more wisdom, a lot more discernment to tell. Because when you have zero access to the pastor and you hear him talk just 30 minutes a week, it's going to be really hard to determine whether or not what you're being fed is authentic, if it's genuine. So it requires more discernment. The second test is their creed, not just their character, but also their doctrine. Are they preaching clear, strong theology, or is the gospel message somewhat nebulous? Is it open to interpretation? Either false ideas are being taught or very important truths are being omitted. It's not always what they say. Usually it's what they don't say. Is there a lot of talk about love, but not enough talk about holiness? Do they talk about those who are deprived physically, but not those that are depraved spiritually? Do they talk about God's universal universal fatherhood of all humankind. I heard it the other week. They said, you know, we're all God's children. Well, actually, we're not. We're not all God's children. His unique fatherhood is only for those whose faith is in Jesus Christ. 
Their way will never be the narrow way because it's not God's way. It's not his standard. They lower God's standards to make the message more palatable to somebody who's carnally minded, somebody who's worldly minded. They want them to be able to, um, you know, it's basically a message that is pleasing to the ear. So they lower God's standards for the carnally minded person. Their message has gaps in it. Uh, the The biggest gap is one that leaves out truth that can actually save people. The third test, so you got character, you got creed, and then you have converts. Uh, One of the fruits of a true prophet, of a true teacher, are converts. Uh, You've heard the saying, we talked about it with the teens on Friday night, that you become like the people that you surround yourself with. So not only look at their lives, but look at the lives of the people who follow them very closely. Is there evidence of fruit in their lives as well? Because those people should be pointed towards Jesus, not towards a man. Jesus should be the main thing, not the teacher. Are they amassing a follower or are they pointing people towards the Savior? We use these tests. um, We use these tests, and the Spirit inside of us will bear witness whether or not this person is authentic, whether or not they're true or if they're phony. And if you know the scriptures, right? If you're being led by the Lord, if you're listening for his voice, if you're watching closely, you won't be misled. Jesus told us that you'll know them by their fruits. Um, one of the most important crops uh, in ancient Israel were grapes. And they were a big part of their economy. They were a big part of their community. And Jesus used the analogy of grapes and grape vines multiple times to talk about the kingdom in our relationship with him and how we're supposed to be connected and producing fruit for him. And in John 15, Jesus tells them this. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You and I are branches on the vine. You have to be plugged into the source if you want to bear fruit for the Lord. But if you close yourself off from the vine, you're going to start to shrivel up. You're not going to bear fruit and you're going to be cut off and cast away into the fire. Now, it's interesting because unlike other trees that the scriptures talk about, like the cedars or the cypress, the value or the worth of the vine is based on what it produces, the quality and the amount of the fruit that it produces, not its wood. You can't do anything with a vine. I mean, once a vine's been cut off, it's not good for anything. It can't be fashioned into furniture. You can't make equipment out of it. The only thing a vine is good for once it's been cut away is to throw into the fire fuel for the fire. And even then it doesn't last very long. So there's no value in the vine once it's been cut away. Uh, The prophet Ezekiel, without a doubt, was probably the most bizarre prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, God gave him some amazing visions and he asked him to do all kinds of strange things to get the attention of a people that had walked away from God once again. They had been calloused towards the Lord. In Ezekiel 15, God says this to him, and the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest, is wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? 
Behold, it's given to the fire for fuel. And when the fire has consumed both ends of it, the middle of it is charred. Is it useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was useful for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it and it's charred, can it ever be used for anything? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so have I given up on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. God's people would have been extremely shocked to hear that they had become a vine of this type. They were fruitless, and they were faithless, and they were destined for the fire. Uh, They weren't fulfilling their full purpose, what he had made them for. They were supposed to be connected to the Lord, but because they weren't, judgment was coming. And hundreds of years later, they would close themselves off once again from the true vine, from Jesus when he arrived. They denied him, and they were shriveling up. So what did God do? Paul tells us that he grafted in a wild branch. The Gentiles were the wild branch that was grafted in. Now, God's not done with the Jewish people. He's not done with the Jewish people. One day, he's going to bring them back to himself. Because if if God was done with the Jewish people, then he could be done with you and I. And that's never going to happen. He said, can a mother forget the child who's nursing? It's not going to happen. And God's not going to forget them either. One day he's going to bring them back. But for now, because of their fruitlessness and their faithlessness, we got grafted in. And now we get to benefit from that. We get to draw life and produce fruit for him. A fruit that will bless the Lord. Uh, We talked about this a little bit on Friday night, but you know that we can bless the Lord. We can bless the Lord. It says when Jesus was leaving, he was leaving Bethany, he was going towards Jerusalem, and he saw this fruit tree. He said he was hungry. Now, I don't know why he didn't eat breakfast before he left in the morning, but he didn't. He was hungry, and he saw this tree, and he walks up to it because it was in leaf, and there was supposed to be fruit there. But when Jesus got there, there wasn't any fruit on the tree, and so he cursed the tree, and it withered from the roots. There was supposed to be fruit there, that could bless and satisfy Jesus. We need to be those that have fruit in our lives that can bless and satisfy the Lord. Think about your own kids. When your kids are doing the right thing, when they're you know, walking in ways of righteousness, it pleases you as a parent. And God wants that for us as well, which is why we need to be connected to him. And if we do that, if we remain fruitful, if we abide in the vine and he abides in us, then we're going to recognize and stay away from false teachers, from wolves in sheep's clothing, But we need to stay close to the shepherd if we're going to do that. The sheep stay close to the shepherd. They know his voice. But if you wander away, it's going to be easy to be deceived. False prophets, very much active in in the church today, all over the world. But if you know your Bibles, if you look closely, inspect their lives, their character, their creed, and their converts, you won't be deceived. So some very serious messages last week on, you know, heaven and hell, the invitation that he gives and going through the wide gate or the narrow gate. And then this week, Jesus saying, there's people outside trying to steer you through one of those gates. Make sure you go through the right one. Make sure you, you know, look closely so you can choose, so you can pick out who the false teachers are. And uh, that's my charge every single week is to get up and present to you guys the word, um, not to give just simply my opinion on it, but to give you the whole counsel of God. Um, from, you know, the good and the bad. There has to be bad news if there's going to be good news. And so I try to uh, make sure that I present the gospel in a way that's accurate.
is my firm foundation 